I remember saying words like that, and it was during a bit of a hard time. I was preparing for my first overseas evangelistic mission trip, and I don't like planes. And this trip would involve street evangelism. And it wasn't my first time sharing the gospel by any means, but for some reason it sure felt like it. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've broken through the noise of everyday life with the gospel or taken a big step, knocked on a door, pushed a conversation deeper than it's ever gone before with a friend. And it can really be intimidating. Especially, I might add, if it's done using a method or aimed at an audience that you're not used to. If you've ever stepped out like this, you've probably said a silent prayer similar to mine. Jesus, would you give me power because I can't do this. God's word speaks to this today as we go through the book of Luke. Because Jesus' plan of salvation for the world, which he's been explaining for the last few chapters, it now includes the sending out of his apostles. They are finally going out on their first evangelistic mission trip. And they'll do it because the power for them to reach the world for Jesus will come from Jesus. Let's see how that plays out for them and for us. Let me start by reading Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And he, that is Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. A tunic is a shirt, by the way. The first thing that Jesus tells his apostles here to do is to go with his power. This power is really important. Look at verse 1. Jesus gives his apostle power before he even tells them what the mission is. It's like giving car keys to a teenager before telling them what for. In this case, Jesus gives them power over demons and disease. He's allowing them to do what he's been doing so far. And verse 2 sums up what he's been doing so far. Proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. So, they get great power, but they get it so that people can understand the kingdom of God. That's the purpose. This power is not for their personal glory. So all that means is when I said, go with the power of Jesus, 
I don't mean that people are to go sprinkle the power of Jesus on top of everything else you might use for the mission. It's not icing on the cake. It's the cake. Here's why I make such a point of this. The next thing Jesus does right here is he takes away all the power and control the apostles might have thought that they had. Look at it. Jesus says, take nothing for your journey. No money. No bag. No bread. The word nothing is the point. You can imagine their reaction. I mean, Jesus' power so far has been wonderful, but it's been huge. It's downright scared them at times. Last chapter, Jesus calms a storm, and they kind of freaked out. And now, Jesus is sending them out with only that power. Can you imagine the feeling? I mean, and another thing, is this prescriptive for us? Are we supposed to go out in the same way with nothing? Some believe that. If that's true, when I packed luggage for my mission trip, I was sinning, if that's true. But I don't think it's necessarily true. And I say that because we need to skip ahead and see it in context. Luke chapter 22 verses 35 through 36, which will be up on the screen, Jesus, near the end of his mission, now clarifies this scene. Let's read it together. Jesus said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag and no knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. And he said, But now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Two things I want to point out here. First, thankfully, the disciples confirmed that they understood why Jesus sent them out like that. Because his power was enough. They packed nothing and yet they lacked nothing. But look at verse 36. Their specific mission now changes, and so their packing list changes. In this case, they get one. So in other words, you didn't pack anything in this scenario, but now you pack it in this scenario. But make no mistake, friends, as we read this, the power of Jesus is the foundation. In other words, preach the same gospel... But consider the situation, consider the audience for the mission, and pack accordingly. And a few chapters later, after his resurrection, Jesus, his final mission to them and to us, the one we're under, is this. Make disciples of all nations. So with all that context, how then does Luke 9, 1 through 3 apply to us? It applies to us in this way. As you reach the world, go with the power of Jesus. With the foundation of that power, 
you know, pack accordingly. And I, I don't just mean clothes. Here's what I mean. Consider the mission. Your mission, your primary mission right now is State College. It's a great picture of the world, isn't it? It's not a small village like the disciples were going to. We're not going to probably stay in people's houses overnight. But it's a great picture of the world. We've got, it's full of people young and old. It's full of people both rich and poor. It's full of people sick and healthy. And there are people here from countries you've probably never heard of. Very different mission field. Now, you are called to preach the gospel, of course. But here's what I'm saying. Many of these people will need to hear it in very different ways. I mean, if you have kids, think about it. The same thing that works for one doesn't work for the other, even if you're preaching the same gospel, right? So it is with everyone. So, here's some examples of radically different ways to introduce people to Jesus. And please, take note of the ones on this list, which is not exhaustive. Take note of the things on this list that you might favor, but also maybe the ones you might avoid or you're not comfortable with, or maybe just consider ones you haven't thought about. Here are some ways. Some people need prayers for healing and a hot meal, and they don't need a Bible study yet. Some people need that. You okay with that? Some people need a personal testimony from you, and they don't need a logical presentation. Some people need a logical explanation from you. Not a weepy personal testimony. They don't need it yet. Some people will want to meet at your home. Some people will want a dialogue, maybe very publicly. Some people will want to talk with you alone. Others would prefer to meet in groups. Some people will need to hear the gospel once to believe. And some are going to need to hear it 50 times. Now, some of these approaches might be very easy for you. In fact, you probably pick a few of those and those are the ones you do. Or you look for those people, right? But some of these you might feel very weak at. And the point here is good. Good, because the power to reach the world for Jesus doesn't come from you. It comes from Jesus. And so as you reach the world, he can help you know what approach, what to pack for each audience, for each situation. You can pray before you go. You can pray as you're knocking on the door and you're like, what am I doing? You can preach as the conversation unfolds and unravels and you're like, I don't know what to do with this person. You can pray and the Lord will help you know what to do. And in this way, when you rely on this power, you can reach anyone. But if you rely on your power, you can't. So, say you start making some adjustments. 
Will you now have a 100% conversion rate? Let's find out. Verses 4 through 6. Jesus continues. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The second thing that Jesus tells his followers here is that they should expect acceptance and rejection. Both are going to happen. Now, he's very kind. Look first at the acceptance in verse 4. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. So, acceptance is implied. As in, apostles, people are going to welcome you into their homes. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Middle Eastern culture, but you get fed. And... People will give you clothing, maybe even an extra tunic. See, the Lord, just as a side note here, in taking away their power, he's just going to show his power more. You don't need to pack, in this case. But sometimes the doors will slam shut. Anyone who's ever evangelizes knows this. Yet look at how Jesus' power is sufficient for even that. Verse 5. Wherever the apostles aren't received, when they leave that town, they should shake the dust off their feet. And what does that mean? (laughs) That sounds kind of combative, right? You can imagine some high-handed, like, spitting on the ground or something. What does that mean? Well, I think what that means, at its core level, is to not make rejection personal. In other words, if people reject you, you shake the dust off your feet. It's a sign of separation from that person. You're not compromising the gospel. You're saying, I've given you the truth. You have rejected it. I will not compromise the truth. And I will move on. Simple, right? But, in a way, it is simple. Because when people reject the gospel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. It's not about you. I mean that. So how does that apply? As you reach the world, expect acceptance and rejection. Be faithful to the method, varied as it might be. Be faithful to preach the gospel, uncompromising, and don't sweat the results. If people accept the gospel, praise God. If people reject the gospel... Praise God. Don't take it personally. Shake the dust off and move on to the next 
house or the next person. And don't assume you're doing it wrong just because not everyone receives you. If you do, you will compromise. Guarantee it. Now, thankfully, Jesus' disciples seem to get this. If they don't get it now, they get it later. But the point is, they obey. They go. And the mission begins to grow. And now, as we transition, the scene changes. The author, Luke, pauses and he considers the cultural shift that's happening on a larger scale. We take a brief moment to see this movement and how it affects affects people who have great earthly power. Verses 7 through 9. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. The third thing we learn here is to remember that power, apart from Jesus, is powerless. Let me tell you what I mean here. Look at verse 7. Herod is a tetrarch. Not a lot of those around here. What it means is it's kind of like a small emperor. He rules part of the country. In this case, he rules the part where this gospel mission is happening. Now, Herod just had John the Baptist killed. Just for fun, actually. When Herod rejects your gospel presentation, he doesn't just close the door on you. He takes your head off. Anybody intimidated by somebody like that? But for all his power, the point here is that Herod doesn't understand why killing people like John is actually making the new movement more powerful. He's baffled. So how powerful is he really? Herod has earthly power, but look at verse 9. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He's got no power. No power. That's why disciples can be brave as they go. They've got the power. So how does this apply for us? As you reach the world, remember that power apart from Jesus is powerless. Many powerful people misunderstand Christianity and they flex their muscle. And the point is, you shouldn't be afraid of that. I mean, consider the audience of the book of Luke. It's a guy named Theophilus in chapter 1. He was likely a pretty notable official, so he had some power. I think he might have read this passage, and he might have paused and considered, maybe for the first time, maybe real power doesn't come from anyone on earth. Because Herod, a tetrarch, is missing something that these little 
tiny apostles are learning and Peter himself will soon confess Jesus is the Son of God. That's where the power is. Do we go in that power? Now we go back to the apostles. They're back from their mission and Jesus will not send them on a vacation now that they're back. He actually is going to clarify the purpose of this power even further by giving them a preview of a much bigger, harder, and better mission. I'll move on and read verses 10 through 17, a passage that might seem fairly familiar. Verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them in the kingdom of, of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we're here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. What was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. The last thing Jesus wants us to know here is that his power is designated for feeding others. So the scene is this. The apostles report to Jesus. He pulls them aside. But then a crowd follows I don't know if you've ever gotten back from a big evangelistic mission trip, but you don't want to talk to people. Look at what Jesus does in verse 11. Though he and his disciples were aiming for some time alone, it appears, Jesus welcomes the crowd, telling them about the kingdom of God. This guy has a lot of energy. Time passes to the point where in verse 12, the disciples say, send them away, in a manner of speaking. But Jesus pushes back then, I think kind of uncomfortably, and says, you give them something to eat. And they have some food, but it's clear they don't have enough. I don't want to assume they're being rude here. I don't. It doesn't make that clear. But it's clear they see uh, power limitations. clear they don't understand what could happen. So what's happening here? Because really the focus is not on the miracle. The focus is on the teaching. I think Jesus is reorienting their thinking. First, I think he's teaching them that there are no isolated mission trips. The audience is massive and they are now in your house. 
This is not like working at a daycare where you punch in and out. This is like your kids waking you up at three in the morning again because they need help. And Jesus does it gladly. And he does this because the power to reach the world comes through him. He doesn't have any limits. So Jesus just takes his disciples' little resources and just feeds everybody. Luke describes this miracle with such little fanfare. I mean, it is an amazing miracle. But here's the big lesson I think that we take away from this. And it comes for any of you who are remotely familiar with the Old Testament. Because any reader reading this who's familiar with the Old Testament would be reminded of the book of Exodus. Where Moses, a guy who has no earthly power, was called by God to do powerful things in spite of a powerful leader who didn't know who God was. And Israel was freed. And in the wilderness... They rebelled, and here's the main connection. God fed his people with manna, which is like bread. This teaching is about how God interacts with his undeserving people and how he means to reach the world. He feeds them. And God would do it again here, but... Through Jesus and for Gentiles, not Israel. And as we look ahead to the very same passage in Luke that I quoted earlier, it won't be up there, I'll just paraphrase. Jesus and his disciples after that would go on a final mission framed with communion where Jesus would give himself over to be killed, broken as the bread of life, which would allow people from all nations to make disciples of all nations through his power. Do you see the thread? And in that power, Jesus would be resurrected and send his apostles on the final mission that we're now on, promising them that death has no power. John the Baptist was just killed. Don't worry about it. Don't fear. Go. Jesus right here is beginning a long training process that we're going to walk through in the coming weeks. He's training his disciples to understand that his power is the power to change the world. So how does this apply to us? As you reach the world, know that Jesus's power is designated for feeding others. Keyword, others. This is more than some isolated mission trip where you take a selfie. You are called to die so that people can live. Now let me first in application address the church members, and our work here, because that's a huge way in which we feed people. 
I'll hit on many audiences. Many of you are serving tirelessly here. You're not just doing stuff, you're investing in people. Tirelessly. To the point where some of you need to take a season of rest. Thank you. I'll have some applications for you in a little bit. But, for some of you, here is your church involvement. You come in, and you sit down, and you hear words of living bread, and then you go down the hallway, and you eat living bread, or you eat actual bread, I should say, and then you leave. Or maybe you do participate, but every conversation is about you. Maybe it's about how, how much Jesus is doing for you personally. Or just it's always about how messed up your life is. Or it's how much Jesus loves you personally. And to be perfectly honest, you don't invest in anyone. Jesus has provided bread for the nations and some of you are stuffing your face with it. It's like you can't even get up the energy to feed someone else. There's baskets and baskets for the nations. You're just, it's all for you. If that's you, do not be fooled. You might say that you worship Jesus, but you might look a lot more like Herod. You're confused. It's about your power. It's all about you. If that's you, please remember, Jesus is quick to forgive. He gave his life to forgive. But remember, Jesus opposed people who looked religious. Fall at his feet, if that is you. Now, if you're a Christian, but you've been visiting this church for, say, a year or less, you're not a member, fine. How might you feed others? What can you do? Pursue membership. Pursue membership. And if you do that, if you pursue it, even if you do that and you decide that this isn't the place, fine. Go somewhere else and be a member there. Don't church up. Don't be a perpetual visitor. Pick somewhere and die there. Plant your flag. And when you join, serve. And side note, while you're free to serve in any area you're good at, consider, where is the need? Not where can I be appreciated, not simply where am I good, 
What do they need? Let me speak to a third audience. Maybe you're still examining Christianity. If so, please, don't try to feed others. Don't. (laughs) Your application is to eat the bread of life. Feast on it. Let Jesus satisfy you because nothing else will. And then join us because we want to help train you to feed the nations. All right, let me go back to the the members. Let me spend my remaining time thinking of the work outside our church. So I'll speak to those of you who are, are Christians. And I do want to focus on the people who are serving pretty well here. How can you grow in feeding people outside of here? What do we do there? Our our application, I think, from this text is to feed wisely. We want to make sure the people we are feeding are moving towards feeding others. This is a multiplication ministry. We want to make disciples who make disciples. Now, This is not a clean formula. It is easy to think that everybody progresses the same way, just as it's easy to think that everybody needs the same method. That's not true. So some people might take a lot longer than others. You're looking for trajectory. You're looking for progress. You're not looking for, I'll give them six months and then they're gone. Look for progress and encourage you. Remember, the world is very different people. So I'll give a few examples of maybe how we can, if you're out of balance or if you're wondering if you're feeding the right people, what can we do? So please, if if any of these examples kind of sound like you, I'd encourage you, please don't immediately accept or reject these suggestions. Um, This is just so you can critically think and so you can consider how to, exa- how to examine your own life and, and apply these, these principles. So, example number one. Maybe you are a goer. Maybe you're investing a lot here, and you're investing a lot in your neighbors, and you're investing a lot in your work. But when you get home, you crash. Your family barely sees you. Or, quite simply, maybe it's not the busyness But maybe your family is not on the same page spiritually. There's some division there. Some of them are downright struggling. Now just say, if you're heavily committed here or elsewhere and you're neglecting that, please back off your responsibilities and feed them. Feed your family. Feed your roommates. People like that. And I say that simply because I want to think about multiplication. The home is seriously like the best place for feeding other people. The amount of good you can do in a unified home is incredible. You need to feed that. Now let's look at the other side of that. Maybe you're feeding your family well. And you rigorously guard your family time. That's what I'm about. I'm an energy hog. I want to make sure we're getting that family time in. Consider, I mostly speak to myself, 
How's it going with your neighbors? Are you so committed to feeding your family that your neighborhood gets the scraps, if there are any? Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, um, family is first priority. I, I kinda, we kind of just had our, our, our son dedicated, you know, prioritized. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, when you're in a season like that, you don't get sleep. It's kind of hard to see neighbors. But, and I say this to any family who guards that family time, do you know that it is possible to idolize your family? Do you know that? I mean, I'm realizing as I think about stuff like this, that if I focus too much on my wife and kids... I am actually setting themselves up for a lifetime of gorging on bread. It's all about you. That's possible. Can you believe that? But if we can do that here, then families can do it at home. Of course. So one of the ways our family is taking steps to spend time there is we're inviting our neighbors over as a family. Spending time as a family, but in the act of feeding other people. Consider that. Even, I might add, in the cold month of January. Throw a party. Finally, last application or example. Maybe you're feeding many people in your life here and there. And again, I'm like this. But you only focus on the people you can see. Kind of out of sight, out of mind kind of person. So I'll simply ask you this. What about the nations? What about them? Are you praying for them? Are you praying for our missionaries? Do you even know their names? If you don't, I'm see if we can get their slides up there. Please consider our missionaries. Pray for them. Write them letters. They have left this community. They have left their church homes. Don't let the love for them die with a Christmas giving initiative. Love them all year round. Okay. Who's exhausted? (laughs) Good. Because... Jesus demands we give him our little efforts and he will multiply them. And when we do it wrong, there is plenty of bread when we fail. There's forgiveness. And there, and this church, really, we want to help each other. This is a process of laying the groundwork of a loving culture of discipleship. Jesus was patient to train his disciples and work with them and die for them as he calls them to give everything. And we do this so that the nations, so the world, can know the power and the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear God, we so often rely on our power And we reach limited people. 
where we so often feed the wrong things or we neglect areas of life. But Lord, you are a patient teacher. You have strong words for the lazy and you have encouragement for everyone else. So please, Lord, above all, let us not be lazy. Let us work hard. And and as we make mistakes and as we grow, let us patiently work with one another to go in the power of Christ, relying on the uniqueness of the body, the various parts here, to reach as many as possible for your glory. Amen.